Okay, so Muadim Lesim Ha, Boch Hashem. This is a very special day. This is the Hilula, the yard site of Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman Ben Fege. It's now 210 years since Rabbi Nachman passed away, and it's on the fourth day of Sukkot. Before we continue, we have to just um, give a little encouragement for this period. We did not make it to Uman Rosh Hashanah. About 95%, I would say 95, 90% of the people who wanted to get to Uman Rosh Hashanah did not make it this year. People tried everything. People, they paid for eight tickets, nine tickets, bribe money. They flew all the way to Belarus without a shower for one week, waiting and waiting to try to get into the Ukraine to get there. Us here in Jerusalem, we were eating our fingers in like fear what's going to be. We had our luggage packed, money, credit cards, everything ready, even till Friday morning before Shoshana, hoping last minute they would say, okay, we're letting in flights, and they would organize last minute like a jumbo jet chartered flight from from Tel Aviv to get to, to Kiev, and then to be in Uman by four in the afternoon, three afternoon, enough time to go to the mikveh, say Tikkun Akali. Our hopes were broken. It was very hard. I had a very hard period from Rosh Hashanah all the way to Yom Kippur. I, I could not be consoled until Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur... I finally began to feel consolation about Uman Rosh Hashanah and to get a picture. I'm going to share with you the perspective and the picture I got and it's connected to the lesson we're learning. We're learning about the Tikkun Aklali, these 10 types of song which Rav Nosen and Rabbi Nachman show us is the key for the rectification of the entire world. He makes such a big deal such an emphasis on the power of activating in our life the ten types of song, not just to, to rectify, to realign, but to bring balance to the whole world, to, re, to connect the whole world back to Hashem. If you take a look at the end of Likute Moran, end of Lesson 92, 92 is officially the last lesson in Likute Moran. From 93 until the end, is all additional little conversations that Rav Nosen heard from Rabbi Nachman. But the official last lesson of Likud Timuran is 92, which talks about the Tikkun Aklali. And in it, you'll see Rav Nosen says something amazing. And I'm going to read to you what he says in English. Rav Nosen says at the end of 92, part 2, he says, And in the merit of rectifying this sin, the blemish of the covenant, our, which is done through the Tikkun Aklali, our righteous Mashiach will come to gather in all our dispersed. As it is written, God builds Jerusalem. He gathers in the outcast of Israel. Outcast of Israel is referring to the wasted seed. The wasted and the Jews who are outcast because of this blemish. May it happen speedily in our times. Amen. And this concludes Likute Maran part 2. He finishes with this thing here to show that the key for Mashiach's arrival is rectifying this, and it's done through the Tikkun Akali. So it's something very big, very, very big. And on Yom Kippur, it hit me what's going on. What's going on? Let's explain it in perspective 
of a story which is connected to the Tikkun HaKlali. We didn't go into this story at all, but it's about time we do, Bezat Hashem. The story is found at the end of Rabbi Nachman's stories, the last story of Sipurei Masiot, Rabbi Nachman's stories, story number 13, about the seven beggars. If you remember, there's the story of the seven beggars. The sixth beggar, there's seven beggars, each one has a different deficiency. The first one is blind, the second one is deaf, the third one he can't speak, he's lame, right? The fourth one has a crooked neck, the fifth one has a hunchback, okay? The fifth one has, has a, has a uh, sorry, the sixth one has a problem with his, no, his hands, he doesn't have hands, and the, the, I skipped one there, sorry. The, 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 I'm trying to remember the order. Hunchback, the one who, who's, who's lame, one has a crooked neck, forgot about that. Hunchback, the one who has no hands, and the one who has no feet. Rabbi Nachman, he told of the seven beggars, up to the sixth beggar. He did not tell the story of the last beggar who has no legs. And he said, Mashiach, we will only hear this story when Mashiach comes. Okay? But the sixth beggar, which is the, fi- the final one that we do have, talks about a beggar who says that he seems to have a blemish in his hands, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a blemish at all. It just seems to, that he has a blemish in his hands. What's the thing? He uses his hands for a higher purpose. He uses his hands to heal the princess, the Bat Malka. And he tells a story of a Bat Malka princess who was captured by an evil king. There's a king who wanted this princess. And he did many, many things to capture her until he finally got her. And then afterwards, his love for her went down because he said, you know, what if she runs away from me? Then she'll go to be with somebody else and then she'll take revenge on me. So to let her go is not good. But also, to kill her, also is not good. Because I worked so hard to get her. So he didn't know what to do. And his love for her went down. And at the same time, her love for him went down also. Until she decided to run away. So she ran. And the soldiers told the king, the guards told the king that she escaped. And she's running towards a castle made of water. It's called the water castle. Ten walls of water, a castle standing with walls of water. Everything was water. The floor, the walls, the ceiling, the roof, everything out of water. Ten walls of water. So he told them, pursue her, run after her. Okay? So they, they, they're running after her, and she's trying to figure out how to get into the castle. She sees that they're pursuing her, so she, she sees no choice but she rather run into the water even if it means she's going to drown. So she ran into the water. She made it through. While she's going through, the king said, if that's the case, so shoot her, kill her. So they shot ten arrows. Each arrow was coated with a different type of, type of poison. There's ten types of poison. Each one harder than the previous one. Harsher, more severe. All ten arrows entered her while she was running through the water castle she managed to get through all 10 walls and when she got in she fell down unconscious with the arrows the 10 arrows and poison inside her the king and his soldiers 
then tried to run into the castle together, they all drowned trying to get into the castle. The beggar, telling this story, says, I can heal her. He says he has a few powers connected to the number 10, that because only he has these powers, he's able to penetrate the water castle and take out all the arrows and heal her. He says, for example, that there's 10 levels of charity, of tzedakah, and only with these 10 levels of charity can a person enter the 10 walls of water, okay? And, and as a result, go through and penetrate the walls. Seven. So with his 10 levels of charity, he's able, he's able to enter all 10 walls and enter the water castle. The evil king didn't have those 10 levels of, 10 levels of charity, so he drowned. That's number one. Number two, the beggar, the beggar without hands, he says that he possesses such a strength in his hands that even after the arrows have reached the target into the princess, he's able to extract them. Because in the beginning of the story, the, the beggar said that once he was together with a group of people and they were all boasting what power they have in their hands. One person boasted that he is so powerful that even after he shoots an arrow, he can quickly grab it back. So the beggar said, which arrow? Because there's 10 types of arrows because of the 10 types of poison. Which arrow can you bring back? So he said, only one type. So he said, if you can only do one type, you can't heal the princess because you have to be able to extract all 10 types of arrows from her. So the beggar he had the power to extract all 10 types of arrows, and he was able to extract, with his hands, all arrows from the princess. But now, the poison has entered the princess. What's needed now is to heal the damage done. It's one thing to take out the arrows, but how about the poison that's now ruined the princess? So he said that there's also another power in his hands, that he has what's called the wisdom of fixing the pulse. In ancient medicine, even the Rambam goes into this, it's Jewish medicine, everything's in the pulse. And there's 10 types of pulses. And if you know how, with your fingers, to feel the pulse, the, each one, the 10 types, wherever they're located in the body, and you know how to properly apply pressure on the pulse, you're able to heal a person. Because the whole sickness of the person, we know, unfortunately, when a person gets very sick, so one of the big things that are hit is the blood pressure. The blood pressure begins to go down, 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 until a person, the heart stops. The heart is pumping the, the blood, which is the blood pressure, okay? If now the blood pressure is good, that's why when you go to doctors, the first thing they check is the blood pressure. Always the blood pressure, blood pressure, but because the main key of vitality is that the blood flow is, is proper, is flowing right. If there's a blockage in the blood pressure, a person sees, ceases to live. He stops to live, chas if there's no blood pressure. So with the wisdom of knowing the ten types of pulse and knowing how to properly apply pressure on the ten specific 
places of the pulse or ten different types of pulse, knowing how to apply pressure with the fingers, a person could release the blood flow to be done properly again. This is amazing, the idea. So he said the beggar, he has, he possesses all ten levels of wisdom relating to the ten types of pulse because of the ten arrows of the ten types of poison all ten types of pulses were damaged in other words the blood flow was damaged by ten different types of poison what's needed is with the wisdom of the pulse to be able to release the damage from the poison and let the blood flow again so he says, the, the beggar, that he possesses all ten levels and he can heal the princess. Finally, to get her back up on her feet, what's needed, once you heal and make uh, alignment in the ten types of pulse, you need to bring her back vitality. It's like someone who's sick, so you get out the sickness from the body. But now to recuperate, you need to give them vitamin C, you need to give them vitamins, you have to give them healthy food, they have to, you know, they have to build up themselves to rehab, they have to go through rehab. It's one thing to heal a person, and it's another thing to do rehabilitation, to get them back on their feet. So he says, Rabbi Nachman, that this beggar possessed in his fingers also the ability to play the ten types of melody, ten types of song, which heal, uh, in other words, re- rehabilitate the damage of the ten types of pulses of the blood, damaged by the ten types of uh, poisons, to rehabilitate the, the, the princess, you need the ten types of song. Because song involves also with the fingers pressure of air on musical instruments. There's ten types of song. All song involves musical instruments. How do musical instruments work? How does a piano work? How does a guitar work? How does a violin work? How does a flute work? How does a clarinet work? How do drums work? Everything is with specific pressure on musical instruments with controlling the air. For example, when a person hits hard with a drum, with the stick on the drum, so because of the impact involving the air, cutting through the air and hitting super fast on the drum that makes a loud noise. Also pressure on the chords of a, of a, of a piano and a guitar. Everything involves the idea of hitting the airwave. Rav Nosen himself, he gives the example of the violin and the guitar that for example when a person is plucking the string on the guitar so you have the box behind the strings on the guitar. What does the box do? It contains the sound emulating from the person plucking with his finger on the strings. So the sound, I forgot how to say it in English, reverberates, hits the box of the guitar and doesn't go further. It stops in the box of the guitar. But because of that stopping and that bouncing, it creates a musical note. Okay? So here again, with air controlling the airwaves, music is made. So the beggar said, he possesses the ability of all his ten fingers to play the ten types of melody which are different combinations and coordination of the sound and the music, the melody, is what brings her back to life. So the beggar says he has all of these powers. He has the ability to enter the water castle 
because of the ten types of charity. Number two, he has the ability to extract the ten arrows. Number three, he's able to heal the princess by realigning the, the ten pulses and also applying the ten types of song. So it's really together. These are ten, 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 all needed in healing the princess. So now watch this. This is an amazing insight. Rabbi Nachman promised, and this is connected to us, Rabbi Nachman promised that anybody who comes to his grave, number one, gives a coin to charity in the memory of Rabbi Nachman, number two, and number three, says the Tikkun Aklali, the ten chapters of the Tikkun Aklali by his grave, Rabbi Nachman promised he will pull a person out of the deepest hell and the deepest Gehenam that there could be, no matter what a person has done. Even the worst, worst possible sins, as long as a person wants to repent, wants to start again in life, Rabbi Nachman promised he will pull out a person no matter what they did. So pay attention. He said, number one, to give a coin to charity. Giving a coin to charity corresponds to entering the ten walls of the water castle, which is charity. He says in the story that in order to enter the walls, you need all ten types of charity. Why ten types of charity? Because there's ten walls. So for each wall, you need a different type of charity. There's, for example, there's what's called Ma'aser, that's one type of charity. Truma, that's another type. There's what's called Matan Baseter. The Gemara and the Halacha go out to delineate what are the ten levels of charity. He says you need access to all ten. Giving a coin to charity by Nachman's grave is meant to activate entering the water castle. Entering the water castle to heal your princess, your Neshama, and the Shechina, the Divine Presence, in a person which has been damaged and blemished due to a person's sins and blemishes. So first what's needed is to enter the water castle. That's by giving the coin to charity. That now allows us to go into the walls. The reason, by the way, why charity is what lets a person into the walls, because Rabbi Nachman teaches in another lesson, lesson number four, part two, that the power of charity, he calls it, Avodat not just giving charity, it's called the work of charity. He says where a person breaks their achzariyut, their cruelty, and gives charity even though they don't want to give, or they, even they don't, they don't trust the person, but they give anyways. He says the power of this type of tzedakah is called patoach tiftach. The power of tzedakah is to make an opening, always to make an opening. And where there's a wall, tzedakah makes an opening. Where there's a tiny hole, and I can't get through, tzedakah opens it up again, it widens it. So tzedakah is a key to breaking a wall, to entering a wall. That's the connection of the idea, going through the wall in order to pass through the ten walls of water to get into the castle. That's the coin of charity of Nachman required by his grave. He requires just one, because he does the rest. The job to heal is the tzaddik. <laughs> the idea of the beggars, the seven beggars, Rav Nosen explains, these are, the, these are the tzaddikim, the seven shepherds, whatever you want to call them, the seven tzaddikim, the seven shepherds. It's their job. I need my input. All I need is to give a coin. Rabbi Nachman said, anyone who comes to my grave 
and didn't say and gives a thousand dollars. He said and gives a coin, just a coin. You can give more, but just a coin is needed in order to activate the other nine levels that this tzaddik can do. I just have to give a simple coin. That's number one. Number two is now saying the tikkun aklali. Saying the tikkun aklali is like extracting the arrows. He teaches Rabbi Nachman in lesson 83, part 2, that... Can't hear you. <laughs> he teaches in 83, part 2, that prayer is like shooting arrows and also extracting arrows, okay? It's a lesson in the Kutemon part 2, a very deep lesson, 83, which is the idea of arrows and extracting arrows. So, by saying the 10 chapters of Tikkun HaKlali, we extract the arrows, okay? We extract the arrows from the princess, the Bat Malka who's sick. That second stage. Rabbi Nachman, again, he says, whoever comes to his grave, we didn't go into that yet, gives a coin to charity, says the Tikkun HaKlali, then, and by the grave, what's the grave of the, 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 of the Tzaddik? The grave of the Tzaddik is the power of the Tzaddik who has in his hands to heal. You should know, in this story, the story of this, of this beggar of our hands, that at the end of the story, he says, Rabbi Nachman said, that the beggar said, and I can heal the princess. When Rabbi Nachman said those words, and I can heal the princess, Rabbi Nachman pointed his fingers to himself. He said, and I, Rabbi Nachman, can heal the princess. Okay? So that means the tzaddik is this one who can heal with the ten fingers. So by coming to the grave of Rabbi Nachman, he now applies his wisdom of the ten types of pulses spiritually, plus the ten types of song, activated by saying the tikkun haklali, the tzaddik now completes the healing process of the person. This explains how people feel a major change in their life when they do this. When they come to Rabbi Nachman's grave, they give the coin to charity, they say the tikkun haklali, okay, these three things together corresponds to, correlates to going through the water castle. Number two, extracting the arrows. Number three, healing the princess by realigning the ten pulses, the ten types of pulse, due to the damage of the poison, the spiritual poison. You see that the idea of ten poisons is called in the Zohar, Asara Kitrin Dimsa'avuta. The Zohar says that there's ten crowns of impurity, ten levels of impurity, and they're called the ten crowns, Kitrin, crowns of impurity. Are, and and any time we sin and blemish, we enter the realm, the domain of these ten crowns of impurity. That's why the number ten is needed maximum to extract us. That's why there's maximum ten arrows, and maximum there's ten fingers to heal the ten types of pulses and the ten, uh, ten types of song. That's all that's needed because that's the maximum level we required of number ten. So here we have everything fixed by Rabbi Nachman's kever. Fine. With that said, we see something amazing. This activ activation of the Tikkun HaKlali, the coin to charity, Rabbi Nachman's kever can happen and take place any time of the year. 
It does not have to be on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Any day of the year that a person comes to Rabbi Nachman's grave and activates these three items, the, the coin to charity, the tikkun aklali, and the grave, you're in. You, you begin your healing process. Over the past 30 years, something new has happened in the world where altogether there's a united recitation of the Tikkun Aklali by Rabbi Nachman's grave with approximately 50 to 60,000 people. Unbelievable. Okay? So you have here the coin of, of the charity, the Tzedakah, plus the Tikkun Aklali itself, plus the grave of Rabbi Nachman, by 50,000 people. What is this? What is this kibbutz, this gathering of the Tikkun Aklali? He explains Rabbi Nachman in Lesson 8, Part 2, that when Jews, Jewish people, come together to do a specific devotion of holiness, such as prayer, they create what's called combinations, serufim, where the number is unimaginable. It's called, in multiplication, factorial multiplication. What that means is, for example, when two Jews get together, Reuven and Shimon, there's two possible combinations. There's Reuven, Shimon, or Shimon, Reuven. You can place Reuven AB or BA. There's two combinations. You might say, but it's the same Reuven. It's the same Shimon. No, it's not. There's a Reuven who's to the left of Shimon, and there's a Reuven who's to the right of Shimon. What does that do? The perspective, the presentation of Reuven changes a person also. You have a person when he's at work, or the, person, the same person when he's at home, the same person when he's at shul, the same person when he's on the bus, the same person when he's going for a walk over his doggy, and the same person in the different parts of the day. There's one, there's one person. There's one mayor, there's one Dan, there's one... There's, there's, there's each person, one Daniel. But your perspective changes based on your surroundings. You're the same person, but your attitude and what you can offer changes when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're at shul, when you're in the forest doing Yidbodidut, you change. Even though you're, you're unique, you're Reuven or you're Shimon, but where you're placed or displaced changes your presentation. So there's Reuven before Shimon or there's Reuven after Shimon. Okay? So it's one person but different combinations called Tzirufim. So now, if I add a third person, so I have Reuven, Shimon, Levi, that's one, two, three. I now have six combinations of these three people, and not three. Why? Because I can make six new combinations. I can do one, two, three, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, one, two, three, or one, three, two, or two, one, three, or two, three, one, or three, one, two, or three, two, one. That's six combinations. So from three people now, I have factorial multiplication. I take the total of the previous sum. So there was Reuven Shimon, that's two. And now I add a third person. So it's not plus three, it's times the new number, times three equals six. Four people, 24 combinations. Okay, five is already 100 something. You get to 10 people, the number is already in the millions, if not in the billions. Do the calculation, 
and the number is already over 10 billion in the billions of combinations just with 10 digits 10 people okay imagine 50,000 people coming together to David Rabbi Nachman says this Tzirufim happen when Jews come together to Davin. <coughs> That's why a minyan is so powerful. When you daven, when you do something together with other, or when you do a prayer with other people, it goes much more farther than if you're, if you're alone. That's why it's good, it's ideal that a person daven with a minyan. And one of the things that the corona tried to do is to take away the minyan. So now you wonder why if people are dying, God forbid, and they say it's not because of corona, you know why. Because there's no Minyanim, there's no Kaddish, there's no Kedusha, okay? You can understand why things are happening, why people are fed up, why it's over-exaggerated already at this point, and so much holiness has been lost, and it's unneeded, and unnecessary, <coughs> because it was over-exaggerated from the beginning. In any event, this was what, what, what was lost this year in Uman. There may have been people who made it to Uman, 2,500 people, okay? But the kibbutz, the gathering of the people that was lost this year. People were scattered in Jerusalem, in Meron, in Bnei Brak, in Beit Shemesh, in Beitar, in Borough Park, in London, in Canada, in Montreal, in Toronto, in London, and people stuck in Belarus. Yeah, 2,000 people stuck in Belarus there, or even more spread out in Pinsk, in Minsk. People stuck in Poland, people in Hungary by Rav Shaya of Kerstir. They were spread out. The people tried to get to Uman Rosh Hashanah and do together this Tikkun Aklali together. That was lost. What does that accomplish? Tikkun Aklali, with all these three things, the charity, the Tikkun Aklali, the great Rabbi Nachman, times 50,000 people. This is to help rectify the whole world. All the blemish of the Brit, of the covenant, all sexual blemishes, which again is the main uh, impediment preventing Mashiach from coming, because we just read now at the end of Likud Terma 92, that Mashiach will come in the merit of rectifying this blemish, which is through the Tikkun Aklali. So just imagine, when we come together to say the Tikkun Aklali by Nachman's grave on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, so it's not just for me personally, it's for the entire universe. I'm fixing this for the entire world. That is what was taken away this year. So now, the question is, what can fill in the gap? All, automatically, it's also Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Nachman's Rosh Hashanah, of the gathering together. There's, by the way, there's more of a gathering on the Tikkun Akali than on Rosh Hashanah, because as you see, if you're an Uman for Rosh Hashanah, you can't have everybody daven together. You can't have the 50,000 people daven together. You have different types of Nusach. You have Sephardi Nusach, Moroccan Nusach, Ashkenazi Nusach, Hasidic Nusach, and also people have a hard time davening this type of minyan, that type of minyan. So people come together to Uman, but there's different minyanim. But by the Tikkun Aklali, everybody's together. Everybody comes to be together, reciting it together as one. It, com it comes together in unison together at noontime, 12 o'clock. That's the power here. That's the unbelievable power of the Tikkun Aklali. And the kibbutz, it comes out on the Tikkun Aklali on the, Arab, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. That is what was taken away from us this year. So the question is, how do we fill the gap? How do we fill the gap? This was what was bothering me until Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, I got totally enlightened. Rav Nosen 
once said, this quotation is found in the book called Siach Sarfei Kodesh, which is only in Hebrew for now. Rav Nossin once said, Rabbi Nachman's thing, in Yiddish, he said, the Rebbe's Zach, Rabbi Nachman's thing is Rosh Hashanah. And then Rav Nossin said, my thing, Rav Nossin said, my thing is Yom Kippur. You hear that? Rabbi Nachman said, his thing is Rosh Hashanah. Rav Nossin said, my thing is Yom Kippur. What does that mean? It means that we have, in a sense, a second chance through Rav Nossin. Rabbi Nachman himself already made an opening that there is a second chance for what is lost out on Uman Rosh Hashanah. What's the statement Rabbi Nachman made? Rabbi Nachman made a statement. I think you can find it in the book in English, Tzadik, in Hebrew, Chaim Moran, the chapter called The Greatness of His Rosh Hashanah. Rabbi Nachman said, what other Tzadikim can accomplish until from Rosh Hashanah until Hoshana Rabbah, he can accomplish already on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. On the first night of Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Nachman accomplishes Tikkunim that he said he himself cannot do the rest of the year, and it's even what, greater than what other tzaddikim can do until Hoshana Rabbah. Here in this statement, Rabbi Nachman leaves an opening. He says he can get more mileage for you by coming to be by him, he accomplishes everything on, on the first night of Rosh Hashanah. First of all, what's done, according to the Halacha, according to the Gemara, according to the Torah, what's done on Rosh Hashanah? What's done already on Rosh Hashanah? So the Gemara says clearly, on Rosh Hashanah, tzaddikim are inscribed immediately for life. The wicked, the truly wicked, are inscribed immediately to death. And people in between, which is about 99.999% of the world, people in between are given until Yom Kippur. Okay? So the Benonim, Benonim in Hebrew means the in-between people. People are not tzaddikim, but they're not rishayim, they're in between, they're, they're people. People are people, right? They're given until Yom Kippur. And even until Yom Kippur, it's finalized on Hoshana Rabbah. That's why in Hoshana Rabbah, we do a lot of things which are similar to Yom Kippur. People wear white on Hoshana Rabbah. There's much more screaming and davening for Hoshana. Save me. Why are we screaming Hoshana after Yom Kippur? Isn't it finished? Yom Kippur is finished. Why every day of Sukkot are we still screaming Hoshana? Save me. <laughs> what? Well, I, I, it's, not, it's not finished? No, it's not finished. You still have a chance to finalize the decree until Hoshana Rabbah. But it's thanks to the forgiveness of Yom Kippur, that we have this chance until Hoshana Rabbah. So Rabbi Nachman's statement, other what other tzaddikim do and accomplish until Hoshana Rabbah, he fixes on the first night. What does that mean? Rav Nosen explains this. Rav Nosen says something unbelievable. He says in the Kutel Achot Rav Nosen, that if you have a person who's a rasha, a person is a wicked person, he deserves, God forbid, to be inscribed in the book of death that year. If such a wicked person travels, travels to be by the tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah, he's inscribed with the tzaddik for life for Rosh Hashanah. How could you do that? That's not fair. That's not right. He's a rasha. Yes, but, however, 
since this wicked person illustrates and demonstrates and shows his faith in tzaddikim by traveling to the tzaddikim that's why Rabbi Nachman makes such a big deal of traveling to a tzaddik because you're actually traveling to be by tzaddik shows your belief in the tzaddik meaning what? that even though a person seems to be a wicked person the fact that he has belief in a tzaddik which is illustrated by his traveling to be by tzaddik shows that this person is not really such a wicked person like he seems to present to be because he has an emuna deep inside of him which is represented in his traveling to be by tzaddik so if you have a, a wicked person all the more so someone who's not such a wicked person who's a benoni, an in-between person if they travel to be by tzaddikim for Rosh Hashanah so the tzaddik has the capacity the true tzaddik has the capacity to have all these people inscribed with him for life now this applies, Rav Nussin says even for tzaddikim after they passed on because a tzaddik every year goes up a level we celebrate a hilula like Rav Nussin gives the example of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Meron Lagba Omer why every year? it's not enough one year, two thousand years ago why every year do we celebrate Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's Hidula? Because every year he goes up a level. The decree to go up is on the night of Rosh Hashanah, and the actual elevation of the tzaddik at the highest of levels uh, for that year takes place on the actual day of his passing. But the green light for it to happen, to begin, is on the night of Rosh Hashanah. So tzaddikim, even after they passed on, their ability to go up higher already and be inscribed in the Book of Life because life, Rabbi Nachman explains in Lesson 18 is that a person is reaching higher levels of perception of God, that's life that's not just in Lesson 18, that's also Lesson 21 it's a few lessons in Likutei Moran Rabbi Nachman says life is when a person reaches higher levels of perception Rabbi Nachman said about himself that if he would serve Hashem today with the same perception that he had yesterday he would no longer want to live anymore in other words every day his perception in putting on tefillin saying shema doing the mitzvot torah study and the perception of a godliness that he had every day was always advancing advancing he was always moving from level to level daily he said about himself that if he would daven today and serve Hashem today with yesterday's per- perception, he would no longer want to live because he was always on the run for newer levels. That was this tzaddik. He was always going up and up and up and up. So that's the idea of life, of going up and advancing, okay? So tzaddikim, even after their passing, they need to be inscribed in the book of life in order to advance, okay? So this is the idea of traveling to be by a tzaddik. But now, again, going back to the statement, Rabbi Nachman said, other tzaddikim can do it by Hoshana Rabbah. Rav Nosen said, his thing is Yom Kippur. By Rav Nosen saying, his thing is Yom Kippur, it's like a second chance. Just like, for example, you have Pesach, and all the um, unbelievable tikkunim and rectifications brought about through Pesach, okay? And someone who missed out on Pesach because he was Tameh, he was impure, and he couldn't make it to the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, or he was tra- stuck in traveling, and he couldn't make it on time, 
he's given a second chance, which is called Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach a month later, okay? Rosh Hashanah, we missed out by the Tzaddik. We have a second chance of activating forgiveness through the Talmud, Rav Nossin. Rav Nossin said, my thing is Yom Kippur. In other words, Rav Nossin's ability to help a person who, God forbid, didn't make it to the Tzaddik on Rosh Hashanah, so what should I worry about? If I did not make it to the Tzaddik on Rosh Hashanah, I'm worried. Why am I worried? Because I don't know if I will now have a guarantee that I am inscribed in the Book of Life of the Tzaddikim. Because I know my actions. I know where I stand. And I know that, oy vavoy, I don't stand a chance alone in front of Hashem's heavenly court. I'm totally dependent on the merit of these tzaddikim to help me. Like Rav Nosson said, the wicked people who travel to be by tzaddikim, they're inscribed to the tzaddikim, they're given another chance. I don't have that if I don't travel to be by the tzaddik for Shoshana. So what do I have? This is where Rav Nosson comes in, and he says his thing is Yom Kippur. What does that mean? Rav Avraham ben Rav Nachman, this is a son of a, the main disciple of Rav Nosson. Rav Nosson had a disciple, Rav Nachman Halevi Chazan of Tulchin, Rav Nachman Tulchiner. His son was known in Breslov as Rav Avraham Bereb Nachman of Tulchin, Halevi Chazan of Tulchin. Okay, he wrote, he says, Rav Nosson's whole thing was to give another person another chance, give each person another chance. Rav Nosson once said that even a Jew who transgressed the entire Torah 800 times, Rav Nosson said, I could find many, many good points and merits for this person to fill many, many pages. Why? Because I know what a person has to go through in life. And because I know what a person has to go through in life, I understand why a wicked person does what he does. What do you expect? Look what he went through in life. Rav Nossin, his ability to find merit in any Jew, even the biggest sinner, that was his thing. That was Rav Nossin's thing. That's why when Rav Nossin passed away, he was saying over and over again the words from the blessing of the Shemun Esra. Chanun hamarbeh Right, that blessing. Slach lanu avinu kichatanu. Right, Baruch atah Hashem. Chanun hamarbel isloach, which translates Chanun, you Hashem, the compassionate one. Hamarbel, who is abundant in isloach, forgiveness. You're always able to forgive a person if a person really wants and he really shows to Hashem his yearning and is wanting to come back, but I'm just stuck because of my ta'avot, because of my evil, because of my upbringing, because of all the garbage that I have in my exile in Galut, but still, Hashem, I want to be a good Jew, and I tell you that I want to be a good Jew. Chanun HaMarbel Yisloach. Rav Nosen was saying this over and over again before he passed away on Friday afternoon, on the 10th of Tevet, in the year 1844, in December in 1844. On that Friday afternoon, he was saying over and over again, Chanun So Avram Ben Nachman points out, if you take the gematria of Chanun Hamarbe Lisloach, it adds up to exactly 500. And 500 is also the gematria of Nosen. Natan, Nun 50 plus Nun 50, that's 100. Tav is 400, 500. And that's Chanun Hamarbe Lisloach. Rav Nosen's whole thing is to give another chance to a person. 
this applies especially to someone who wants to be by the tzaddik and couldn't make it. He can't, can't make it. Our second chance is on Yom Kippur. Okay? With that said, we can now take everything we spoke about, the 10 levels of charity, the 10 arrows, okay? Plus the 10 levels of healing by knowing the 10 types of pulses and the 10 types of song, we can apply all of this from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Okay? Number one, on Rosh Hashanah, you have the concept of 10. Where is the concept of 10 on Rosh Hashanah itself? Rav Nosen points out, there are 10 kolot of the shofar. If you add up the number of sounds that we make on Rosh Hashanah, unique sounds, unique sounds, there's 10. What are the unique sounds of Rosh Hashanah? I know only three. I know Tkia, Shvarim, and Shua. Rav Nosen says, no. Tashrat is unique. Tkia, Shvarim, Trua, Tkia. That's unique. That's four. Tashat, Tkia, Shvarim, Tkia. That's another three. Those are unique. And then Tarat, Tkia, Trua, Tkia. That's another three. That's ten. Why the unique? The same reason why we said about the Tzirufim of people, the combinations of Reuven and Shimon are unique. There's a Reuven when he's to the left of Shimon, and there's a Reuven when he's to the right of Shimon. Where you displace and you place Reuven, he's at work, Reuven at home, Reuven shopping, Reuven doing it, what to do? It's the same Reuven, but it's a different presentation. Wherever he is, during the day, at work he's one way, at home he's a different way, right? In the forest, in the Beit Midrash, in Davening, he's a different Reuven, wherever you, wherever you put him, he acts differently, has a different presentation, a unique and different presentation of the same person. So to the Tkia before Shvarim Trua, it's not like the Tkiah which is after Shvarim Trua. It's not like the Tkiah which is before Shvarim alone. And it's not like the one before Trua alone. It's a di- unique Trua, even though it appears a few times. So with that in mind, there's ten kolot. The kolot of the shofar correspond to, believe it or not, and they relate to, ultimately, what Joshua did to bring down the walls of Yericho. Bringing down the walls of Yericho, which was the barrier between the Jewish people and entering Eretz Yisrael, the beginning of conquering Eretz Yisrael, started with Yericho. So when the Jews under Joshua entered entered Yericho, they did so by blowing the shofar. We blow the shofar. That's why, by the way, in Hoshana Rabbah, we do seven hakafot. We do seven encirclings with the Lulav and Etrog on the seventh day of Hashanah Rabbah, corresponding to the seven times that Joshua and the people went around the walls, and then finally brought down the walls when they blowed the trumpets and the horns and the shofar wrote. So the idea of blowing a shofar is like the idea, synonymous to tzedakah, which is to penetrate the wall, okay? I don't have in front of me the machzor, but if you take a look at the Rosh Hashanah machzor in Musaf, you find psukim of Tzedakah or Mishpat. Tzedakah or Mishpat. Tzedakah mentioned many times in relationship to the, to the, to the shofar. Because the purpose of the shofar is to mitigate harsh decrees. Tzedakah also is to mitigate harsh decrees. Tzedakah tatzil mimavet. Tzedakah saves from death, which means there's a mitigation of harsh decrees. The shofar, the blowing of the shofar is meant to do the same thing. So the blowing of the shofar 
10 times, 10 types of blowing, we blow a total of 100 times every day of Rosh Hashanah, okay? But there's 10 unique, like we said, Tashrat, Tashat, Tarat. Those 10 notes are the number 10 activated to break down the wall, the wall of the water castle, which is the beginning of the healing. And because it's the Jewish people collectively doing the shofar, so that's the idea of collectively activating the concept of the Tikkun HaKlali that we said, which is done as a group on Erev Rosh Hashanah. So now breaking the wall for the Jewish people as a whole is on Rosh Hashanah by blowing the shofar. That's number one. Number two, you have the ten days of tshuva, Aseret, Yemei Tshuva, leading up to Yom Kippur. What do we say every day of the ten days of tshuva? Obviously, except for Rosh Hashanah and Shabbat Shuva, if there is Shabbat of the in between the ten days and Yom Kippur, every day we add Hamelech Hamishpat, right? Baruch Atah Hashem. We don't say Melech Ohev Tzedakah Hamishpat. We say Hamelech Hamishpat, Hamelech Hakadosh. But we say Hamelech Hamishpat. Hamelech Hamishpat relates to Rav Nosson writes this: what the beggar said that he can retrieve an arrow even after it's been shooted. This concept is not necessarily from Rabbi Nachman. It's from the Gemara. Rashi brings down on the Pasuk in Parashat HaAzinu, which normally takes place normally before Rosh Hashanah, Parashat HaAzinu. There's a Pasuk there in Parashat HaAzinu where Hashem says, yadi," And I hold with justice my hand. I hold justice with my hand. Hashem says, I'm able to hold justice with my hand. What does that mean? So Rashi says, Rashi on that Pasuk says, Not like a human king of flesh and blood is Hashem. A human king, when he shoots an arrow, he can no longer retrieve it. Hashem is not like that. Hashem is so great, that even after I've shot an arrow, I can retrieve it. That's the concept Rabbi Nachman brought of the beggar, who said that he has this power in his hand, which is shocking, because Rashi is saying that's the power of Hashem. A tzaddik has a similar power, this, this tzaddik has a similar power, like Hashem, he's able to extract the arrows, even after they have reached the target. And that's learned out, he learns it out, Rashi learns it out from that verse. The, the Gemara is learning, Rashi is bringing down the Gemara, the, the sages. Okay? That he's, he's, hold, he's able to hold justice. Justice is the arrows that were shot out of justice to punish, able to extract them. Hashem is able, even after the arrow has been shot, to extract them. So that corresponds to Rav Nosen explains, Hamelech Mishpat. The king of Mishpat, the ten days of repentance where we say Amelech Mishpat, correspond to the ten psalms of the Tikkun Aklali. Because we said prayer, psalms, is like shooting arrows and retrieving them. I'm able to extract the ten arrows. You got that? Unbelievable. <coughs> That's now the Tikkun Aklali, the rectification of the Tikkun Aklali. Those are the ten days of repentance on a national level. All the Jewish people in the world are saying Hamelech Hamishpat. Number three, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is 
corresponding to the power of the tzaddik himself. Where do we see that? The Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur would enter the Holy of Holies. Kodesh Kodashim, the only day of the year that the Kohen Gadol is allowed into this room. And this room, Holy of Holies, is the tenth level of holiness of the Holy Land. The Gemara says that there are ten levels of holiness in Eretz Yisrael. It goes on to enumerate. You have what's called the Trumot, Ma'asrot, Peah, all the holiness associated with the land of Israel. Okay? And then it goes further. Then there's the holiness of the Beit HaMikdash, first of all, sorry, the, the, the Holy Mountain, the Temple Mount, and then of the Holy Temple, and then of the Kodesh, the actual Temple inside, plus the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies, the Gemara enumerates, is number 10. Number 10th holiness is Holy of Holies. Yom Kippur, the 10th day of Tishrei, the Kohen Gadol enters this room of Holy of Holies. And what does he do in that room? The majority, if you look in the Mishnah in Yoma, the majority of the work of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is involving what? His fingers. He sprinkles. Achat, achat ve'achat, achat ve'shtayim, achat ve'shalosh, right? He's sprinkling with his fingers. Plus the, the Mishnah illustrates how the maneuvering of the hands of the Kohen to be able to hold the pan with the ktoret while being able to do other things with the blood, he has to coordinate with his hands. The Kohen Gadol is involved a lot with his hands in the Holy of Holies. This corresponds to the hands of the beggar. He's able to heal. The power of healing is in the fingers, which is number one, checking the pulse, fixing, realigning the pulse, the ten types of pulses, and applying the ten types of nigun. Both involve what's called ruach. Ruach is spirit. Ruach is wind. In the pulse, you have what's called in Hebrew, ruach hadofek. The pulse, the blood which is pulsating, why is there a pulse in the first place? Why do we need in the human body that the blood is running? Because the blood is taking oxygen from the lungs which are given to the heart and the heart pumps the oxygenated, the freshly oxygenated blood to the rest of the body in order that the body, the body should be nourished and survive and not rot. So the idea of Ruach HaDofek, there's wind, oxygen in the blood, okay? And that's number one. That's how wind is associated with the pulses. And also we said there's music, ten types of melody with the ten types, ten fingers playing the ten types of melody that's also involving wind. The Kohen Gadol entered Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur with the Ktoret. The Ktoret is making a smoke in the air. And that smoke in the air makes a happy attitude. It says Ktoret, it's a verse. Ktoret is, I, think, I forget the exact wording of the verse, maybe you remember. Ktoret yisamach levav, yisamach lev. Ktoret brings joy to the heart. That's the idea of the Ktoret. The smoke of the Ktoret is to bring joy. So the Kohen Gadol goes in to bring joy, Simcha, which is a melody. It's like a sing, it's a joy. Also illustrated when the Kohen Gadol comes out alive, what does it say? He made a Yom Tov, he made a happy day for all of his friends when he came out alive from the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. So there's the attitude of joy, healing, everything done with the hands of the Kohen Gadol. Okay? Now, how does this relate to Rav Nosen? Who was the first Kohen Gadol? 
Aharon. Aharon was the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the tzaddik of that generation. Aharon was his brother. Rav Nosen writes many places in the Kutei Alachot that Aharon and Yoshua are synonymous. Both were considered disciples of Moshe. The greater Chidush was that Aharon, the older brother, who was already a prophet, already a tzaddik, that he bent himself to his younger brother, Moshe Rabbeinu, to become his Talmud. Moshe Rabbeinu would receive the word from God, and the first person to receive from him afterwards was Aharon. So Aharon is the idea of the Talmud. He's the one who enters the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, not Moshe Rabbeinu. He activates it. That's the idea that Rav Nosen said. My thing is Yom Kippur. Aharon is like a Talmud. Rav Nosen is a Talmud. And the second chance for atonement for the people who are not signed for life on the night of Rosh Hashanah, the atonement is given, like the Mishnah says, until Yom Kippur for the Benonim. Okay? This is Rav Nosen's second chance. Yom Kippur is the second chance of Rosh Hashanah. Activated by who? By the student. But this applies, especially for people who wanted to be by the Tzaddik for Rosh Hashanah. So the second chance is activated on Yom Kippur. And that's when we feel that whew, I really wanted to be by the Tzaddik, but I have now the, the Tikkunim of Yom Kippur. So I didn't finish this point. How does the Yom Kippur Aaron, the Aaron, the Aaron HaKodesh, the Holy of Holies, relate to the Tzaddik? So there's this famous story, which you probably know already. I'll just go over it again. Rabbi Nachman's grandfather, that means his paternal grandfather, who's buried here in Israel, in Tiveria. His name is Rabbi Nachman Horodenker. Rabbi Nachman Horodenker is buried in the old cemetery of Tiveria, along with what's called the, the section of the disciples of the Baal Shem Tov. You have a section in Tiveria, in the old cemetery, called Talmidei Baal Shem Tov, not far at all from the Kinneret. In fact, just one block away from the Kinneret, you have there all types of slides and rides and everything, and the beach. Right behind that is the old Jewish cemetery of Tveria, and there's a section very close to the Kinneret. It's called the Talmidei Baal Shem Tov. There you have disciples of the Baal Shem Tov buried together, including Rabbi Nachman's grandfather, Rabbi Nachman Horodenker. Rabbi Nachman is named after his grandfather, Rabbi Nachman Horodenker. Rabbi Nachman Horodenker was asking non-stop the Baal Shem Tov permission to move to the Holy Land, to Eretz Yisrael. And the Baal Shem Tov kept on stalling him, stalling him and stalling him and stalling him for years. Until, finally, the Rav Nachman Rodenker says, I want to go to the Holy Land. Please, let me go to the Holy Land. So, Rav Na- so the Baal Shem Tov told Rav Nachman Horodenker, he said, go to the Mikveh and come back to me. So Rav Nachman Horodenker went to the Mikveh and their custom was, when they would dunk in the Mikveh, they would dunk with their eyes wide open and they would see visions in the Mikveh. The Mikveh is so holy. It's like entering like a different world. For these tzaddikim who had eyes, when they would go in the mikveh, they would dunk, they, they wouldn't have like we did have today, chlorine and all types of guck and dirt and everything. 
they had clean mikvehs, if you want to say more or less. So when they go in the mikveh, and their eyes would be wide open, and they would see visions. So he went to the mikveh, he came back to the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov asked Rav Nachman Hordenker, Nu, tell me what you saw in the mikveh. So Nachman Hordenker said, when I dunked the first time, I saw the Holy Land. The Baal Shem Tov says, Nu, what's next? When I dunked the second time, I saw Yerushalayim. When I dunked the third time, I saw the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. When I dunked the fourth time, I saw the Holy of Holies, but the Ark was missing. I didn't see the Ark. So the Baal Shem Tov smiled, and he said, <laughs> the Ark is here in Mezhibosh, here in the Ukraine. The Ark is here. In other words, the Ark are the Tzadikim, the Aronot, the Holy Arks of the Tzadikim. He was hinting to him, you go to Eretz Yisrael, but your Tzadik is here in the Ukraine, in Mezhibuz, where the Baal Shem Tov is, okay? So this is the idea of the Kohen Gadol entering the Holy of Holies. This corresponds to the graves of Tzadikim, the, the actual Tzadikim themselves. So this is the third rectification done. You come to Rabbi Nachman's grave, right? You give the coin to charity. Say the Tikkun Akhtali. Number three, buy the kever of the tzaddik who activates the healing with the ten fingers. The idea of the ten fingers. In other words, to heal the ten pulse, the ten pulses of the person who's sick physically and spiritually, especially spiritually, to realign the pulses of a person that they should be reconnected. This reminds me of that famous story that once the Baal Shem Tov allowed a doctor to examine him. And the doctor was an expert in the pulse. So this doctor put his hand to check the pulse of the Baal Shem Tov, and the pulse was super duper abnormal, not normal at all. So he said, I never saw a pulse like this. He says, because that's why, because my pulse is on a different, what's it called? It's on a different uh, parameter. It works on a different level. My pulse is on the love for Hashem. Connect. I'm, I'm sick with love sickness for God. So that's why it's a different pulse totally. This is a story on the side of the Baal Shem Tov's pulse, right? So the tzaddikim, they have a different pulse and they have the power of realigning the person's spiritual sickness and then rehab to the ten types of song. This idea of Yom Kippur, which we have on a practical level, means the second chance given to us by Rav Nosin. What's the second chance given to us by Rav Nosin? That when we try to do something holy and we don't make it and we're broken and instead of getting depressed and dejected by being broken, we express our yearning to Hashem. Hashem, I just want to be a good Jew. I just want to come closer to you. I just want to be better. I don't want to be... The reason why, Hashem, I'm doing what I'm doing, killing myself to get to Uman Rosh Hashanah, is not because I have nothing else to do. It's because I want to come close to you, Hashem. I want to be a better person. I want to change. Such a person who expresses his yearning to Hashem, this type of person, Rav Nosin, gives hope to those type of people, Bezrat Hashem. Specifically when they express their yearning to want to change to be able to, to, uh, to, to, to want to make that change, this is the idea of Rav Nosen, this is the idea of Yom Kippur giving the second chance, okay? Do we still have time? Because there's much more to go, continue. Can we now connect this with Sukkot? Are you guys ready for this? Do we have a chance to continue? 
Are you guys okay with this? We go on for another 20 minutes, half an hour? Are we okay? Hands, hands up if we're okay. <laughs> no, no one's okay? Daniel, you can't go on? You have to leave? I might have to go soon. No, I just, the kids are, uh, it's kind of bedtime here. Ay, 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 ay. Okay, I'll, uh, if the other two guys say okay, we'll continue. It's recorded, so you can hear the recording, God willing. B'zat Hashem. Alright, so we're going to continue anyways, because they, they haven't yet responded, I see. So, well, I'll, 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 okay, we'll continue now, just quickly. So, alright, B'simcha, good morning, good to see you. The, once Yom Kippur is accomplished, okay, so now the job is now to continue it to the rest of the world. Because we said now, this is a personal, it's a general accomplishment, but we want to get the rectification out to the whole world now. Just like the Tikkun Akhali in Uman on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, together is meant with all the Batim, all the houses created, it's called houses, when all these combinations are made, the factorial multiplication of three people make six, four make 24, ten making the billions already, right? And then you have 50,000 people. The number is astronomous. It's not even possible, humanly possible, to make the combinations. This is to fix the entire world. Now, after Yom Kippur, until Hoshana Rabbah, our goal now is to take the rectification of the ten types of song, the ten types of healing, to bring it to the rest of the world. So Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 8, Part 2, that there is now to take the ten types of song and put it in a format. The format is called a single-fold song, a double-fold song, a triple-fold song, and a quadruple-fold song. In Hebrew, it's called Shir Pashut Kaful Meshulash Merubah. Singled, Doubled, tripled, quadrupled. How does that work? He said it works. It's an expansion of Hashem's name. You have the letter Yud. And then doubled would mean you go back. Yud, K. And then tripled means you go back also. Yud, K, Vav. And then you go back a fourth time. Yud, K, Vav, K. That totals 10. So it's the 10 types of song but now put in one song that's in a format of singular, doubled, tripled, quadrupled. It's a song, it has the ten types of melody, but it's a song that's a first expression, and then when I want to do the second expression, I go back again to the first expression with the second expression. When I want to go to the third one, I go back again, one, two, three, and the fourth, I go back again. So that there's a redundancy of number one four times, Yud is four times. Yud, Yud K, Yud K Vav, Yud K Vav K. And that appears four formats of Yud. And then K is three formats. Vav is twice. And the final He is once. Okay? All making up ten. He says further, there in Lesson 8, Part 2, that you add up the numerical value, the Gematra of Hashem's name like this. So let's take it. Let's take a look. You have Yud, which is ten. Yud K, that's another ten plus Hey, it's five. So that's twenty-five. Ten plus ten plus five, that's twenty-five. Yud K Vav, 
that's 10 plus 5, 15 plus 6, that's 21. So it's 21 plus 25, so that's uh, 46. And then 46 plus Yud Kevavke, which is 26. So 46 plus 26 is 72. 72, by adding it up like that. 72, he says the Rabbi Nachman, is Gematria Chesed. Chesed, kindness. Chesed. It's 8 plus 60 plus 4. That's 72. And this is what the Zohar says, that in the future redemption, there will be a song played on an instrument with 72 strings. Okay, 72 strings playing this song, which is an expansion of Hashem's name in this format, which contains in it the 10 types of song. All this, by the way, is from the Zohar. Rabbi Nachman brings it down together, but all this is in the Zohar, that there's 10 types of song, and they're in the format of the singled, doubled, tripled, quadrupled. In that format, adding up to 72, all this is in the Zohar. Our goal, after activating, having activated on us the healing of Yom Kippur, which is finalized by the 10 types of song, or on a personal level, the healing of the Tikkun Aklali by Rabbi Nachman's Kever, also activating the 10 types of song, is now to bring it to the rest of the world in this format of four. Single, double, tripled, quadruple. Those, the Sfarim say, correspond to the four days after Yom Kippur until Sukkot. You have in between Yom Kippur, which is the 10th of Tishrei, and Sukkot, which is the 15th of Tishrei, you have four days. Yud Aleph, Yud Bet, Yud Gimel, Yud Dalet of Tishrei. Those four days correspond to the Holy Books, right? Yud Ke Vav Ke. These four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot are our time to prepare for the light of Hashem's name in that format, which will come out, this is unbelievable, you're going to flip out, <laughs> will come out in the four species that we take on Sukkot. We take one Lulav, we take two Aravot, we take three Hadassim, those correspond to the singled song, the doubled and the tripled, and then the final one is the etrog. There's only one etrog and not four etrogim. Rav Nosten explains the quadruple song is one unit. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a fourth symbol. Because you have, for example, in Yud, K, Vav, K, you have a repetition of the letter He. Even though in the Kabbalah they explain that the last He of Hashem's name represents Malchut, and the first hey of Hashem's name, Yud K Vav K, the first hey represents Bina, but still it's the same letter. It represents something else, but it's the same letter. So he says, Rav Nosen Likutelachot, that the fourth is a, as a creation of number four due to the combination of one, two, three. Yud K Vav, they format and create the final hey. So even though the final hey is quadrupled, but it's one unit which represents the one etrog. If you have a hard time understanding this, you can see it better when you see in the Kutel Achot, Rav Nosen in Hechot Ishut, Halacha Gimel explains it pretty clearly, how number four is one unit. The main thing in Yud Kevav is the first three letters, Yud Kevav, and the final He is a repetition, but a culmination, 
and, and made due to the three, they create the four, as opposed to being a unique entity in itself. Yud is a unique entity, K is unique, and Vav. Hey is due, is created because of the combination of Yud, K, Vav. They together form the fourth one. And it's number four. Yes, it's four, but it's made from Yud, K, Vav. Okay? So because of that, there's one Etrog. So we have one Lulav, two Aravot, that's Pashut Kaful, the singled, doubled, Hadaster's three, that's tripled, and then the Etrog, which is one, but it's really containing in it four. And we take in our hands, in our hands, not in our mouth, not in our feet, in our hands, the ten fingers of the hands, we take the, the four species, which now culminate Yud Kevavke in this format. And again, we're given the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot to prepare. You should know, I have to explain this pretty clearly. Rabbi Nachman said, according to how much you cry on the high holidays, which means to cry up to Yom Kippur, that will determine what type of beautiful etrog you will get. Your etrog, the beauty of your etrog, is dependent and corresponds to, correlates to how much you cried on the high holidays, including and up to Yom Kippur. So it makes more sense for a person to go and purchase and acquire the etrog after Yom Kippur and not before Yom Kippur. I'm sorry to say it, but it's stupid. A person can change the beauty of the etrog until Yom Kippur. So why buy already before Yom Kippur an etrog if there's a chance I'm going to cry more in Yom Kippur and that will change the quality of my etrog. So it makes more sense to purchase the etrog and the four minim after Yom Kippur because my crying on Yom Kippur can change the, 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 the determination of the quality of my etrog. Okay? So those four days are given to now activate Yud Kevavke in potential. We're preparing for Sukkot, preparing to get the Lulav, the Hadassim, Aravot, Etrog, everything is being prepared from Yom Kippur until Sukkot. Sukkot comes along, we take in our hands the four species, and what do we do? We wave them. We're waving them. What are we doing? We're spreading in the airwaves the Nigun the special song of the ten types of song culminating in Yud Kevavke, the singled, doubled, tripled, quadrupled song. We're taking the word, representing the four species. We're waving them in the air in order to spread into the entire world the influence of the ten types of song. And this is until Hoshana Rabbah. Okay? So going back, Rabbi Nachman said, what I can do what other tzaddikim take to do until Hoshana Rabbah, which is the last day that we wave the etrog and the, and the lulav and hadassah and arava. And by the way, where do we wave the, the lulav and hadassah arava? In the beginning and the end of the Hallel, on the words, Hodu Lashem Kitov, Ki Leolam Chasdo, the Chesed, the song of Chesed, which is 72. That's where we wave it, because we're spreading the song of the redemption, the song of Chesed, which is 72 strings. We're spreading that song. That's why on Hodu Hashem Kitov, Kidalam Chazdo, we wave in all directions the Lulav. Unbelievable. So, this is the second chance, thanks to Yom Kippur, thanks to Rav Nosim, that we have to make up what we lost 
by not being together in Uman Rosh Hashanah. There may have been people who made it to Uman Rosh Hashanah, but there wasn't the kibbutz. We were all scattered. You guys in LA, you guys in Toronto, others in Montreal, Boer Park, London, Poland, Hungary, Yushalayim, Meron, Beit Shemesh, Bnei Brak, Beitar, you name it. They were, all, we were all scattered. People were not together. Our second chance to make up is now waving the Ut Etchog and Lulav until Hoshana Rabbah. With this will stop. We should be Zoche to have the second chance activated and even possibly more because the yearning that we had this year, all the Tehillim said, all Rav Nussan's prayer, Ayin Vav, prayer 76, Rav Yitzhak Breiter's prayer to get to Uman, all the prayers, the tears, the effort, the money people spent, wasted on bribe money and didn't make it, on buying eight tickets and didn't make it, and buying meal tickets, shiner tickets, sleeping tickets, we spent tons of money, and it all, like, where did it go? All this yearning culminates for Yom Kippur, for Avnosin, his light, the light of the Kohen Gadol, which is the idea of the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, the student, activating the ten of the Holy Ark of the Tzaddik, Aaron Akwen going to be by the Aaron, by the Holy Ark, is the idea of the Talmud, Rav Nosin, activating a second chance by the Tzaddikim, like the Baal Shem Tov told uh, Rav Nachman Ardenke, the Aaron's in Mezhibosh, the Aaron is the Tzaddik, so we have this second chance until Hoshana Rabbah to make up with waving the Tikkun Aklali done on the eve of Hoshana as a kibbutz, we now can spread it into the world. And it's our hope that just like the evil has used the corona as the excuse to take away Torah study, to take away davening, Kaddish, Kedusha, Mitzvot, to make our Torah observance lessened because of a fear of what's in the airwave, our weapon, like the Zohar says, the Zohar says this, okay, remember this, and Rav Nassim brings this down many, many times, Man Natsach, who wins the war? Who wins the battle? Man de mane de krav bidoi. Someone who holds the weapons in his hands, he has won the battle. And the Zohar says, what are the weapons? The weapons are the lulav, hadas, arava, etchog. When the Jews hold these weapons, they're called our weapons, we won the battle. So now, the corona attacked us with the airwaves. We are fighting back now. That's it. Enough is enough. <coughs> Hopefully, the buck will stop here. This will be the end of the corona, God willing, we're hoping. By us, Jewish people, waving the Arba Minim in all the directions of the airwaves, by spreading the light and the purity and the healing, because it's healing, the healing of the ten types of song in our hands, in our fingers we hold. You should know by halacha, it's, it's, it's not acceptable that you hold the siddur or the hoshanot in one hand and you hold the lulav and etrog in the other hand. It, according to Kabbalah, it's very important that you hold constantly the lulav and etrog in both hands. And according to Rabbi Nachman, it fits in perfectly. In order to activate the ten 
the ten levels, you need both hands involved. So holding the lulav and etchog in two hands, have the machzor here or something like that. Keep keep it in a way that you can hold both in both hands, plus the machzor without having to let go and hold both in one hand. It's very important that you hold etchog and lulav in both hands, so you activate all ten fingers, bezat Hashem, while holding the four species. That way you have the ten in the four, in the lulav, etchog, hadas, arava. And by waving them in the four directions, we spread in the airwaves the ten types of song. Bezat Hashem. All right, that's that. We finished. That's the that's the consolation of Uman Rosh Hashanah that we missed out this year. Bezat Hashem. All right, buddies. Thank you for joining. Thank you for your.